Hey, Rockbridge, I want to welcome everybody uh, to our services at our six physical locations. And then there's a lot of you that are also online from uh, various parts around the nation, around the world, and of course around our area. So my name is Matt. If I hadn't had a chance to say hello, thank you so much for being here. You're not here by accident. Hey, just want to let you remind you that on Christmas Eve, all of our physical services and also online, we have a candlelight Christmas Eve service. So we are having services on Christmas Day and Christmas weekend but a separate special service on Saturday for uh, Christmas Eve. You won't, don't want to miss that. Also, great time if you've got someone that uh, isn't connected to Jesus, isn't connected to church, that's another great opportunity to, to bring some uh, someone with you. Hey, listen, you are not here by accident. God's got something for us as we navigate forward in our Christmas series. We're talking about faith. We've said we all have faith, but God has something for us. The only channel to get that is when we have faith. And so we're asking ourselves, what kind of faith does God need, do we need to have for God to give all that he has for us through his son Jesus? Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this incredible time of year. It's a time of tradition. It's a time of family. But God, ultimately, it's a time that allows us to focus on you, what you have done through your son Christ. So God, I just pray for all of us gathered in six locations, gathered around a computer online. God, we're not here by accident. You've got something for us. Give us expectant and open minds, expectant and open hearts, God, to, uh, to receive all that you have won and achieved for us through your son Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. 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 So we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. If you want to follow along on your phone or follow along on your, in your Bible, of course, you can follow along with me on the screen. But uh, listen, I just want to talk a little bit about how we live, okay? Uh, most of us, right, we live, we have plans, and we seek to live according to those plans. You've got plans for the holidays, plans for Christmas. You have plans for typically how you spend your day or how you spend your, 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 your Christmas season. What are you thinking about in the new year? You start making plans. So we're people of plans, right? And we seek to live according to those. You can kind of like think about life this way. It's like you're born, uh, you're, you're a toddler, then you go to school, and then you go get a job. And then you get married and you have a family and then your kids start on those plans and then you retire. And then at some point, we kind of hope a uh, long way off, right? We, we, we run out physically and that's the plans, right? So we have plans and, and we seek to live by those plans. It's just common nature. Some of us are type A and we got a lot of plans, right? Some of you are a little looser, but you still got plans, right? And then many of us, we believe that God has plans for us. And we use this incredible scripture, Jeremiah 29, 7. That's a lot of people's life verse, that God has plans for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us. And so we memorize that verse. Some of us did. Some of us, we have this mantra, and we'll say, man, God's got a plan. God's got a plan. And that's all of that is true. And yet all of us have experienced the confusion or the pain or the disappointment, or, or the questions that come when plans change, and that plans can often encounter problems. 
Now, some of this is of our own doing. There's statistics about how often Americans will change jobs and how often Americans will move. And, and you know, the, you, so a lot of times, you know, you had plans for your first marriage, but that didn't work out, right? Your first job, but that didn't work out. So sometimes plans change kind of of our own doing. Sometimes we don't want them to change, but people force that upon us. And, and they often encounter problems. And when you encounter problems with what you thought was your plan for the day or what you hoped was God's plan for your life, you have a reaction, right? And oftentimes that reaction is confusion or anger or bitterness. Some of us, you know, we might be holding on to cynicism. Some of us, some of you here, you might be quietly mad at God because of this dynamic right here. And, you know, we can say it this way and talk about it this way. There's also a great theologian. His name was Iron Mike Tyson. Here's how he said this. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? <laughs> and, and most of us sort of know that life can do that. Life can feel like a gut punch or a punch in the teeth, right? And, and, and so we understand what he's talking about. But we still have plans, and expectations, and when they don't get met, there's problems. When they do get met, you know, then we feel like, man, God is good, right? Now, here's the interesting thing. Despite all of that about us, and despite all of that about how we live our lives, biblically speaking, God seems very much okay with interrupting, disrupting, changing people's plans. He detours us, uh, he allows things to happen to us. He, in some cases, he causes things to happen to us, to us. And it seems to me the whole story of Christmas, the original Christmas, the first Christmas, is God interrupting people's plans. I mean, Mary and Joseph, right, they're getting ready for their wedding, right? They're getting ready to get married. And everybody, ladies, right, you got plans for the wedding, right? Amen, right? And, and, when, and somebody messes up your wedding plan, that's Satan incarnate, right? Imagine God messing up your wedding plans. Imagine Joseph. I mean, read Matthew chapter 1. We'll look at that, but not today, but we'll look at that. And, and so it seems like all throughout Scripture, look at the Joseph in Genesis, right? I mean, he gets thrown into a pit by his brothers. He gets sold into slavery. He gets forgotten about in prison, and then he ends up becoming the prime minister of Egypt. So it seems like God, even though we say, man, God's got plans for me, and, and we tend to think that my plans and God's plans are the same. It's not always the case, though, right? So it seems like God is very much okay with messing with, however you want to phrase it, disrupting, interrupting, detouring us from plans. And so here's the question I want to ask us this weekend. Is there a better way to live than by our plans? Is there a better way to have hope and have expectancy than by our planning? Is there a better way, a better perspective to look at the lens of your life than just through the lens of your plans or what you hope are God's plans for you if you attach God in some form or fashion to your plans? And I think there is. I think Scripture gives this to us, and we're going to see an example or two examples of this in a, in a story that's related to the Christmas story about a man named Simeon and a prophetess, a lady prophet named Anna, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. We'll pick it up reading here in the Word of God, verse 25. Here's what the Word of God says. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, 
And it says this, he was looking forward to Israel's consolation and the Holy Spirit was on him. So in this time period, Israel is under bondage, under oppression. Israel is enslaved, not so much enslaved, but it's under Roman dominion. And so the, the kingdom of David has is, is sort of gone away. It's, it's promised it's going to be restored. And, and so Israel is not on, on a plan, so to speak. And so when, he, when Luke says Israel's consolation, we're thinking about the restoration of the Davidic kingdom, the promise of the Messiah, Jesus, who we're celebrating right now in this season, uh, is, uh, is somehow tied into that. And so this man, Simeon, good, godly man, looking forward with hope and expectation to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit, God himself, is upon him. God himself is guiding him, influencing him, and impacting his life. And then it gets, in 26, Luke gets even more specific. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. So God, somehow through the Holy Spirit, has given a, Simeon a promise. And Simeon, that promise has created a sense of hope, of expectancy. That promise has given Simeon a perspective, an attitude, an outlook upon life. Now, before we jump in and diagnose that even more, let's just learn something about our God or the God of Scripture. God makes promises. We would say it this way. We could say it this way, that God, our God, is a promise maker. God is a promise maker. So God makes promises, and, and he is a promise maker. Now, here's the thing that you need to know about yourself, and we'll unpack this as we navigate forward through the text, but all of us, we believe in promises. We trust in promises, okay? We do, whether it's the promise of a better-paying job, whether it's the promise of marriage, right? It's, uh, we all believe in promises, the promises of a good meal, the promises of a good time. There's promises wrapped around sex, money, and power. There's promises running that are wrapped around, hey, win the approval of other people. If you do this, they'll like you more, and on and on and on it goes. So there's, we are wired. There's something in our DNA. I would suggest it comes from our maker who makes promises where we find a promise, are grabbed by a promise, and then we pursue the promise promise. Now, here's what Simeon does. Simeon trusts God's promises because we all are promise pursuers. You are an atheist. You are mad. I'm not a Christian. I'm not even into this Christmas stuff. I'm here. It's tradition. It's family, but you're still pursuing a promise. In fact, I could probably look at your calendar and look at your, uh, you know, your bank statement or your, you know, your, your bank app now, and I could probably say, I can bet you're pursuing, I can probably determine what promises you're pursuing just based on time and money. And based on, and we could talk for 20, 30 minutes and we'd probably both learn some promise that you and I are, are, are pursuing because we are, we're all going to always pursue a promise. Simeon just happens to trust that God made a promise to him. He's not going to die until he sees the consolation of Israel or the Messiah right? Now, let's, let's, let's push this even further and talk about Simeon for even more. Simeon trusts God's promises, but not in a general, vague, or generic kind of way. 
Simeon is not going about his day like a lot of us go about our day thinking, oh, I trust in God, or oh, I believe in God, or oh, yeah, I'm good with the God of Christmas, and, 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 but then you do your deal, right? You live your life, and you chase other promises and other things like that. No, Simeon's, this is a very specific promise that is shaping, impacting, and influencing Simeon's life, okay? So you can be a believer in God, but not necessarily shaped by the promises of God, okay? You might believe the promise of alcohol more than the promise of God. You might believe in the promise of a career path more than you believe in something God has said or something God has spoken. But you're still a believer. You're just a believer in a general, vague, or generic kind of way. You're not believing God's promises for your life or your marriage or your career or your money or whatever. So just, just see what Simeon, how Simeon begins to show us something about how he's living his life. Simeon trusts God's promises in a very specific way, and it's controlling, meaning it's, it controls his life. It controls his outlook, but it doesn't make him, you know, it, it doesn't make him, it's not dutiful, it's not drudgery. He's hopeful and expectant. The text said he's looking forward. Some of us would say, you know, I trust God and I'm leaning upon God, but not in a hopeful, expectant way. It's kind of like when you're driving with someone and they're crazy behind the wheel, but you got no choice to just, you know, grin and bear it, but you're not really hopeful about it. That's how some of us are with God. I got no choice but to trust God, right? No, no, this is a hopeful, expectant trust in the promises of God, and it's controlling, meaning, and you'll see it in just a minute in the text, it's so controlling, Simeon can say no to other promises because he said yes to the promise God spoke over him, right? And it's controlling. And then into this, we've been introduced to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And interestingly enough, I, I, I would submit when we talk about as Christians that, that we get the Holy Spirit when we put Jesus in charge of our lives, give him our sins, I, I would submit Simeon is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It says, the, the Word of God says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. God's, we're going to stay in cadence with God. We're going to walk with God. And then Ephesians says it this way, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So Simeon has received the Word of God, and he's living by it, leading his life by it, which is the sword of the Spirit. So Simeon is in step with God. He's in step with the Spirit through the Word of God. So for those of us here today that aspire to be filled with the Spirit, that, under, that want to be influenced by God and controlled by God, it will look something like the Word of God through a promise of God gripping you, grabbing you, captivating you, and controlling you in a hopeful, expectant type of way. And that's what's going on at Christmas. So even more, Simeon now, look what it says, guided by the Spirit. He entered the temple when the parents brought the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, his circumcision. Guess what happens? God's going to keep his promise. He's going to see roughly the eight-day-old baby Jesus because God keeps promises. So he's not only a promise maker, he's a promise keeper. And ironically, not ironically, the path of God's promise is the path of Simeon's life. So you see, 
the path of his life is guided, is shaped by the promise of God. And so he's guided in there by the Holy Spirit. He sees Jesus. Now, let's stop for a second. We've already said all of us are promise pursuers. We've also said that God's not the only promise maker active in the world today. Right? In fact, some of our disappointments and some of our pain and some of our regrets, and some of you don't have pain and regret right now, but you are under a delusion of ignorance because you've trusted in a promise maker and you're a promise pursuer. But you have to ask your question is what I'm trusting, is it also a promise keeper? Because isn't that part of our story? The longer you live, you could complete more and more of this blank. Blank does not keep promises, but I trusted it. The longer you live, you can say blank over promises and under delivers. And, and so you got a tension and you got a battle. The battle is which or whose promise do I trust or whose promise uh, do I follow or whose promise do I pursue? Right? So we've got this image of God that's portrayed to us at Christmas of God who's a promise maker and God who's also a promise keeper, and it creates this tension, right? Because some of my deepest and darkest regrets are moments, seasons, areas of my life where I trusted a promise, but not a promise of God. And so I can fill in that blank, and I can fill in that blank with something that is not of God. And so we have empty promise makers all around us. Turn on the TV, you'll find promise makers, right? And they're not necessarily wrong unless we look to those promises to be life for us, to give us life, to define life, to, di to direct our lives and to direct our paths. And so we have this image of a man who's directed not by empty promises, but by the promises of a promise-keeping, promise-making God. And so what happens is Simeon sees Jesus, and he takes him up in his arms and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. Now, look what he just prayed. I am ready to die now. Most of us won't pray that prayer. Why? Because we've got plans. But God makes promises. Simeon has received the grace of the promise, and so he's like, okay, God, I'm ready to go. See? So, so, so I, I would submit this shows us something, that Simeon's life and life expectancy, so to speak, and lifestyle is not about his plans. It's oriented around what God had promised. And he, he goes on, he says, let me, here's what he knows he's, what's happening. He goes, my eyes have seen your salvation. I've seen Christ. I've seen the Messiah. I've seen the one that's been promised since Genesis 3 that was going to come into the world and save and redeem. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation of the Gentiles, and glory to your people than Israel. Now look at what he's just said. Let me boil it down to this. He's just said something incredibly, incredibly powerful. Some of us are going to be tempted this weekend not to believe it, but let's just take what he said. He's basically saying, having Jesus, Jesus is better than anything this life can offer. Jesus is better than any other promise, than any other set of plans that I've had or this world can offer and make to me. 
Jesus is better. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So once you have Christ, you have life. Not in terms of lifestyle or life expectancy, but in terms of life as God designs and tends for us to have it. And he goes on, though. He says, now look, this life, the Jesus life, the Jesus promise, it's available to anyone, Jews and Gentiles. He's available to all. It's not, there's not some elite category. There's not some special spiritual person. He's available to all. And all of us, all of us, what? Are promise pursuers. The world is full of promise makers. God is presented as a promise keeper, but God's promise is superior to any other promise that the world, which is often run by pleasure, power, and money, can offer or provide. Imagine you're like Mary and Joseph and you're watching all this, you know. His father and mother were amazed. Of course they were. Strangers coming up, grabbing their child, saying, wow, you know, right? It's amazing, right? So they're amazed at all this that was being said about it. Then Simeon blessed them and told, it, and told his mother Mary. Now listen to this. It gets even more deep at the soul level. He says, look, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. Not everyone's going to see Jesus the way Simeon just saw Jesus. Jesus forces a choice. Jesus forces us to decide which path, which promise, which direction will we take. And he says, look, some are going to fall away because of this Jesus. And he says, a sword will pierce your own soul. Most people believe that refers to Jesus' crucifixion when she has to watch her son die a horrific death. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Your heart and my heart will be revealed by what we do with Jesus. This superior, better than life, Jesus. So he's saying, listen, not everybody is going to trust that Jesus is better or superior. Could that, that, that's sort of our story, right? There's moments where following Christ and the promise of following Christ doesn't seem as appealing as following, following the way of the world, right? There's just moments like that. And what Simeon says is, hey, that, that, we've we, we got to get down and understand what God has done and, what, and who and what we have in Christ because Simeon would say this, look, it's not always easy to follow Christ, but it's eternally worth it to follow him. It's eternally worth it to follow him. And so here we have this man whose life was gripped and controlled by this promise of God. And as soon as the promise is met, he's like, God, I, I, I'm good. I'm good. And then, and then to drive the point even further home, we get introduced to another character in the Christmas story. Her name is Anna, and she's called a prophetess. And it's back-to-back stories. So I really believe Luke arranged this for us to get something and to see something in these two individuals about Jesus and how God works in our lives. So we get also there was this prophetess Anna, and this happens back-to-back in succession. And she's a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. So she had plans. Most people don't plan on a short marriage. 
right? And her plans got changed. Just like yours have and mine have, she went on a detour. Not of her own choosing. I mean, most of us don't stand at the altar and get married and say, oh, you know, seven years and something else or six months or something else. Most of, We don't do that. So again, her plans got disrupted. Her plans got interrupted. But is there a better way to live than just by our plans that we can conceive with our own heart and our own mind? Is there a better way to live? So what is she? So, so here, here's the challenge we face, right? When, how do you and I respond when things don't go as planned? Now, here's what we tend to do. We tend to trust our perceptions more than God's promises. When life doesn't go as planned, we tend to trust our perceptions, our understanding, our feelings more than we trust God's promises. And what we need to see emerging in this simple little Christmas story is something very profound about God. God is not obligated to bless our plans, but he is always going to keep his promises. God is not obligated to bless our plans. Many of us believe he is or he should be, but he's not. He does God. He doesn't do genie in a bottle. But he is always, because he is a God of changeless, timeless integrity. He is always, he's a promise keeper. He's always going to keep his promises. So if that's how God works, that begins to shed light on the question we asked earlier. Is there a better way to live than by our plans? So back to Anna as she has uh, <coughs> moved forward in this. She doesn't get been out of shape because these plans, her plans have not been met. And let me just tell you this about God, okay? And I just wrote this down as I was thinking and praying through this this week. God's promises are clearer than his plans. Because his ways are not our ways. See, we wish, we, 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 the promises mean we have to trust. Plans mean, oh, A, A happens and B happens and C happens. And God's promises are clearer than his plans. So Anna, she does not leave the temple. She's serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. She just turns to God. She turns to God in faith. She turns to God in expectancy. She turns to God in hope. For the next 84 years of her life, she just looks to God. And at that moment, the moment after Simeon had raised up the Christ child, at that moment, she came up and she began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She is looking forward to something God has promised, what has fueled her life, shaped her life, given her an attitude not of despair, not of bitterness, not of cynicism, is the promises of God. Because God is a promise maker, God is a promise keeper, and God's promises. If you were to interview Anna, I think she would say something like this, listen, God's promises are better than my plans. So I, I, I would submit 
that based on this story and the authority of God's word, when we say, hey, is there a better way to live than by my plans? Yeah. Live by God's promises. Because we've said it, plans change. God doesn't, his promises will be kept. And the Bible is literally filled with promises of God. And all of all those promises, they come from, point to, and flow out of one thing. The greatest and the best promise that God has ever made is a person, and it's Jesus. That he would come. And that he would be, he would give us promises that Paul later would write in Corinthians that are yes in him, that have their fulfillment in him, that have their power from him, that have their directing, controlling, guiding influences all from him. The greatest and best promise is Christ. Let me show you this in the book of Romans and show you how Christ becomes the fountain and the source and the foundation of all of God's promises. What then shall we say in response to these things, these things about what God has done in Christ? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, Christ goes to the cross, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things, all things necessary for us to live the full and abundant life? All things necessary for us to fulfill the will of God. All things necessary for us to be the men and women God died, God created us to be slash become. Now look at the logic of this. Because God has given his son on the cross, at great pain to God, at great cost to God, God is going to take care of his people. It's a promise that's baked in Christmas and Easter. So the best way to live, to orient, to have, be, to have our lives shaped for us is not by our plans, which can change. And God is not obligated to bless, but by the very promises of God. So the question becomes, you walked in here, and I walked in here as a promised believer and a promised pursuer. Are they promises of God? Are they promises made by, won by, achieved by, and backed up by the gift of Christmas and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And, and in this, you see, I think we hear some invitations. You're going to turn on your TV, you get an invitation to trust a promise. But I think we hear invitations from God in this. The first one is this, to identify what promises you and I are actually trusting and pursuing right now. And let's just be honest. Some of those promises could be deceiving. Some of them could be enslaving. And you may not know it yet, or you may know it, and you may realize it. And those kind of promises, we might need to let them go and drop them. And then, like Simeon and like Anna, we need eyes to see that Jesus is the better, best promise, that Jesus is the superior promise. We need eyes to see that any promise that Christ Jesus has made and purchased in his blood 
is a better promise than anything our heart can conceive or our world can offer. And we want to receive that and move forward in hope and in peace. Move forward in hope and in peace. But for many of us, what that means is we have to move from vague, I believe in God, to specific. I believe in God in this situation, in this moment, in this issue in my life. We don't want to be vague believers, but specific hopers, trusters in the better, best promises of God. Because Anna would say, Simeon would say, God's promises in Christ are better than my plans. That's the message of Christmas. So I, I, I got a question, then we're going to pray. Have you ever trusted the promise of God to save you from your sins, adopt you into his family, place his Holy Spirit inside of you, and be the Lord, the Savior, and the King of your life? If you've never trusted him in that, why not right now give him your sins, give him the steering wheel of your life? What better time than Christmas? For some of you, you're walking through something and you're not trusting God with it or in it. You're trusting the world, yourself, you're trusting your flesh, and you may not know it, but you could be trusting Satan himself. Right now, would you say, in the form of a prayer, your mind, your soul, your spirit to God, you say, God, I need to tell you I'm doing something wrong. You've given me eyes to see it. And God, today, just like Simeon grabbed Jesus in the temple, I want to grab you by faith and trust your promises to me. I want to trust your promises over my marriage. I want to trust your promise in this decision. I want to trust your promise that you'll never leave me or forsake me. There's thousands of them, specific, that will speak to you and bless you and move you forward in faith with the hope and the peace that God has you and that when you follow God and you trust God, the best is always yet to come. And that's really why we can always say, Merry Christmas. God's got us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, I just want to give people some space just to do business with you, God. That God, maybe there's some folks here right now, and they just need to tell you, Jesus, I'm surrendering to you, trusting you, hoping in you, giving my sins to you, giving the steering wheel of my life to you. God, I, I don't have perfect faith, but right now my faith is going to you. I'm trusting you. God, I want to thank you that you are a promise maker and you are a promise keeper. And God, I think there's people here this weekend at all of our locations, and if they were honest, they would say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Because I've been controlled by a false promise or a deceiving promise or an enslaving promise, and I want to be controlled by promises that have been bought by the blood of your Son and are backed up by the gift of Jesus, the gift of Christmas. God, I pray 
that across Rockbridge right now, you would find faith in you, in the words you have spoken, in the son you have given, and in the spirit that is here right now. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.